I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome to the broadcast, friends. Uh, Michael Patton coming to you from the Credo House. I am blessed to be joined by Tim and Sam. I'm happy to be joined by Tim and Sam. Thank you. We I'm are happy joyful well. to have you guys here. It makes me uh, feel uh, good today, this morning, and feel like the, the Lord's presence is more present than would be otherwise. Three presence of people indwelt by the Holy Spirit makes it more Holy Spirit filled. Just me by myself doesn't work quite so well. I don't know. I think that that seems to be like a tritheism type heresy in some ways. That three... By saying you guys are filled with the Holy Spirit? No, but by saying that because three people who are filled by the Holy Spirit delivers more of the Holy uh, Spirit hey, than Have you read Matthew chapter 18 where two or three are gathered in my name? <laughs> yeah, but I think you just took that out of context. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> uh, don't, don't we often take that out of context? That's a common one, yeah. And we actually, I think, talk about that in the discipleship program. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not uh, calling Christ to be here in judgment upon you guys. I'm, okay. I'm truly blessed to have you all here. Sam? I feel equally blessed. Nice to have you back. Good to be back. Uh, missed a couple of sessions. I did. We we it, you, your phone did ring. We did call you. You just didn't answer. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I, I must have really been out of it. No, nothing about the topic. We we uh, would have been blessed to have you here to join in. But we got a new topic today. But before we get into that topic, Tim, yes, I need you to talk about uh, TDP. TDP stands for the Discipleship Program. Is that correct? Is that what you're referring to? Not the other TDP. Well, the... we can talk about that too. Okay, oh. but uh, this TDP, the Discipleship <laughs> Program, we're really excited about it. it launched last uh, last week, and um, basically what it is is imagine what do you give to someone or what do you do yourself when when someone has become a new believer and you hand them a bible uh, but when they open the bible they might have no clue what's going on they're totally lost places they've never heard of concepts they've never thought about before uh, are they really equipped to begin this life of following christ have they been taught the foundations of the faith or perhaps you are a believer and you just feel like you're stuck you feel like you haven't really uh, grown a lot recently and the discipleship program is really geared towards that we focus on five uh, sessions of orthodoxy Saying these are foundational beliefs, and we teach them in a way that we believe. If you've been been a Christian for fifteen years, you probably haven't thought about a lot of these things that we're talking about. Doctrine of the Trinity, yeah. The, doctrine of Christ, of the authority we, of the we Bible. We bring up words like hypostatic union and Apollinarianism, and, yeah. and Nestorianism, Eutychianism, all those things. And you and what we try and really teach is how that relates to your everyday life and your worship of Christ today. And so this is five foundational just, things you're supposed to believe. Yes, and then five practices. Orthopraxy, orthopraxy. Are there practices where over the history of the church, people have said, do these things, act in this way, and you will grow in your faith? And so we talk about things like, how do you actually live with the Bible on a daily basis? How do you actually live with God's people? Sometimes when you're around other Christians, you want to stop being a Christian. And so we try and give people a real accurate view of, of, of what the Bible has taught us and what God has revealed to us of how to actually live, live with each other. Session Whole session on pain and suffering, a session on how do we 
we live as lights in this world. Now that we follow a Savior, we want others to delight in Him as well. And so at 10 weeks, you can go to discipleshipprogram.org. We would love to talk to you about how you can start that in your church, go through it with your family, your coworkers, your friends, whoever it may be. All right. Now that I'm a Christian, the discipleship program. All right, guys, we, we talked a little bit about this beforehand. Again, you guys may not remember, but I wanted to dig into a series that I started by myself a while back, but I put it on hold, and I think it'd be something really good for us just to talk about. I'm not sure how long it's going to go. We may be able to cover multiple um, uh, uh, sessions or, or multiple um, uh well, the the question is this, um, not a question. It's the the topic. What are the reasons? What are the top reasons why people may seek Christ that are at least to some degree? And guys, hang with me. At least to some degree, okay. I'm not saying completely, but at least to some degree, illegitimate. In other words, what are some wrong reasons to become a Christian? Okay. What are some wrong reasons to come to Christ and to, or, or, or to come to the church or, or to come to the Bible and say, I, I think I want to be a Christian because of this, and I, this is my motivation. Um, top ten reasons, maybe we'll get through all ten of them uh, you know, in five sessions or, or less than that, or maybe we take a session apiece. But I'll start to bring some of these up, and you guys can bring them up as well. I know that we've already talked about this some and gone back and forth a little bit on email about some of the reasons why people may become a Christian that we would say, we'd back off and say, you know, let, let's talk about something else first. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's a benefit sometimes of being a Christian, but you're going to get disillusioned if you seek to know Christianity and Christ in such a way. The first one is this, and I see this all the time. Um, people seeking to be happy. I'm going to become a Christian because I want to be happy. Now, I say right now, you guys can agree or disagree. Just, we can take this wherever it goes. But I say that's an illegitimate reason to become a Christian. I am so unhappy. Yeah, I'm so unhappy. I need yeah. to find happiness. And so, therefore, I'm going to become a Christian. Uh, it seems like it should make me happy. Uh, maybe I've grown up in an environment where I've seen people that are happy or, or as a child uh, grew up in the church and I seem to be a lot more happy then. But I want to be a Christian because I want to be happy. Now, first off, let me ask you guys this question. Uh, and we'll talk about why it's illegitimate based upon the main legitimate reason to become a Christian. I think we'll belabor that. I hope to belabor that mm-hmm. over and over and over again during these sessions. What is the reason to become a Christian? Uh, that's what this is all about. But in the Bible, whenever we're talking about happiness... Should should you expect that as a Christian? Does God want us to be happy? Is is happiness part of the pursuit of the Christian life? Is it part of what the Holy Spirit gives to us? And is it a legitimate reason to become a Christian? 
Well, and I think many people, uh, and definitely the fruit of the Spirit is joy, um, and we see joy as something that that Paul speaks about uh, in Ephesians, and um, and we we see definitely joy as a concept that um, as a Christian, Christians exhibit joy, and I think we're probably going to make a little bit of a distinction here between happiness and joy. In some ways, where maybe uh, I'll, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be happy to listen to that. Discussion. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, kind of a sense. I mean, the I think a concept here is that many times joy is is a deeper uh, a deeper feeling of, of contentment and satisfaction, whereas happiness can be more of a surface level way of looking at things. Um, but ultimately. Uh, I, the the question would remain with happiness is and, and maybe I'm moving a little too fast here, but uh, can happy people go to hell? W- would be would be the question. And so, if your motivation in life is happiness, um, is that ultimately going to be the deepest joy? Wherein, if happy people can go to hell, then maybe your ultimate goal should not be happiness. It should be something deeper than happiness. Uh, Sam. When we were kids, it's a lot of, I was, I was looking at my kids yesterday as they were in the backyard and they got their swim pool up. You know, we got one of those portable swimming pools and Christy put it all up while I was gone because she knows that I'd get upset whenever she tells me to put it up whenever I get home and it, it's late or something like that. So she puts it all up herself. Then I feel bad, but <laughs> that they have it up and the kids are, out but, there but you probably have a deeper joy though, that you didn't have to set it up, right? <laughs> it was a piece. <laughs> okay. The peace of the spirit, but uh, whenever whenever kids are young, you see a resilience towards happiness. In, in other words, they seem to be able to be happy in all circumstances. Mm-hmm. And later on in life, I think we start going through the hard things of life, you know, and the difficulties and the struggles and the the things that uh, don't pan out quite like we thought they would whenever we were kids. And happiness seems to be harder and harder to come by therefore happiness is more and more of a pursuit that's why you have people that you know begin to find alternatives to find happiness you know whether it be some type of mind altering drug or alcohol or or just some type of an escape an escape to be happy an escape mm-hmm. to be at peace an escape to let your mind let go of the pressures and the difficulties and, and whenever we get older, I think that that becomes one of our big pursuits is happiness. And whenever we turn towards God and Christianity, often that is one of the escapes or one of the options that we have out there to try to be happy, to find some type of, of joy. Entertainment business, I'm, I'm blown away all the time by how much each one of these movies that come out makes. You know, and, and what is a flop? You know, a flop is whenever it doesn't, whenever it makes fifty-five million rather than five hundred million. Uh, it, it's amazing the entertainment business that you can get into this business and be able to find such a large audience. When we're talking about the discipleship program, you know, we love to have that type of audience that is actively seeking discipleship, deepening in their beliefs and in their faith. But um, most of the time, the broad, lower-hanging fruit is always in, can you make me happy? Can you, can you satisfy me in that sort of way? I want to be happy. I want to have a smile on my face. I want to laugh. I want to, to get up each day and have a positive, happy attitude. And so whenever we look at this from a biblical standpoint, I want to start with this question. 
Um, and, and I don't know the answer. I'm not assuming anything upon you, Sam. But was Christ happy? Would you describe him as a happy person? <laughs> well, you go right. You know, you were there. <laughs> yeah, you go right to the heart of things there, don't you? Was he a happy person? Um, I think Tim is right. We're going to have to define our terms. Uh, let's define them. Yeah, let's, we, we are going to have to clarify what we mean by happy. We know that he was joyful. You know, I'm thinking of uh, his statement in John 15, 11, where he said to the disciples, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So there Jesus is referring to his joy. So he was obviously joyful. We know that. But is that synonymous with being happy? Um, if happiness is um, the what we might call the emotional or psychological pleasure that comes from the external um, dimensions in life being plentiful or abundant, then I would have to say, no, he probably wasn't happy. Uh, because happiness, it seems to me, so oftentimes is tied in some way to external um, prosperity. Mm-hmm. Uh, people treat you well. You're physically fit. Uh, you have enough money that you don't have to worry about paying bills, and you actually have a surplus to buy all your trinkets and your toys. Um, you know, the, the, so many other factors p- uh, that go into uh, this creation of this, this kind of what we call an emotional or psychological state of euphoria. Uh, that would, I think, be happiness. Uh, there, there would be reasons to question whether or not Jesus w- could be said to have been happy in that regard, simply because he was um, he lived a rather um, minimalistic lifestyle. Uh, he did not have great wealth. He did not have a home. Um, he did not have the abundance of possessions. Um, his reputation was uh, slandered. He was uh, mocked. Uh, he was rejected. Obviously, um, you know, he did have a small circle of friends um, who loved him and uh, treated him with honor and respect and, uh, and adoration. But to say that Jesus was happy, certainly there must have been times I think that he was. I think he certainly experienced happiness at various seasons in his life. Um, I mean, think about, you think about uh, when the, the, the children, the little children seem to gravitate to him. And if you know anything about the nature of kids, they are not drawn to grumpy, um, uh, irritable, annoyed adults, Mm -hmm. but the children seemed to be drawn to Jesus. There was something about him, something about his, his spirit, his mood, his attitude, his posture, uh, his approach to life that made them want to be in his presence. And he, they would sit on his lap and enjoy their time there. So um, I guess I'm just probing a little bit more deeply for what we mean by happy, what we mean by joyful. Certainly uh, I think Jesus enjoyed life. I think the idea that he was some sort of sourpuss who was always uh, throwing a wet blanket on people's uh, fun is a misconception. He attended parties. Um, so he enjoyed life. I think he appreciated it for in the way that his Heavenly Father wants us to uh, as a good gift. Um, certainly he had a sense of well-being. He knew his purpose in, in on the earth. So in saying all those things is... In light of that, would we want to say that he was happy? Certainly, I think he experienced happiness. But I think also he experienced seasons of great sorrow and distress 
and frustration and anger. At the same time, his joy remained constant. I think you can be joyful and unhappy if that makes any well, sense. Ecclesiastes 7, 3, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. And I think that kind of encapsulates that in some ways is that we say sorrow. So here we have sorrow, laughter, we could say happiness, and then, and then glad or joy. You know, I mean, it seems like we're circling around that in Ecclesiastes as well. And the book of Isaiah refers to Jesus, if, if we see that's Jesus in Isaiah, as a man of sorrows mm-hmm. as well. And so, yes, I mean, surely when someone told a joke during a Passover feast when he was 20 years old, he probably laughed and, and you know, hit his hand on his knee, um, but then he's also referred to as a man of sorrows, and I think that that's just life. I think everyone would say, yes, I mean, who who do we know that is ever fully happy? And if they are, there's probably something wrong with them, that it's the people that are really the the most joyful are the ones that have been crushed many times in parts of their life, but then experience happiness in other parts as well. And so, uh, so it just seems to me like that is our model. I remember whenever I was at the... Uh height of my rebellion under the tutelage of my parents or mainly my mother and my mother was incredibly distressed with me and you know like any mother would be i just in rebellion and uh not following the lord was a christian but but didn't really want to pursue that at that point in my life i was 20 years old i uh on a whim one evening decided to move with some of my friends to Arizona and my mother was just very upset with You this. just picked Arizona as a state you'd like to move well, to? Well, another one of our friends was there. We said, okay. let's just go move down there and hang out with him for a while. Yeah, you made him happy. Yeah. <laughs> Went down there uh, to Arizona, was staying there for a while. My mom would uh, write me letters and she was just very upset with me and I remember from my disposition at that point looking at my mother very, being a very upset with her. Uh, don't you just want me to be happy? You know, I'm happy right now. I remember talking to her on the phone one time, and this hit me and has stuck with me ever since. But I was talking to her on the phone, and I said, Mother, listen, you're following Jesus, and and I want to sometime too. Not right now, but look at yourself. You're You're completely upset all the time. Every time I talk to you, you're mad. You're sad. You're grieving. Now, all negative terms. And look at me. I'm talking to you, and I'm happy. I said, would I rather be myself right now and be happy or be you right now and be sad? And that was really the, I thought it was the most profound statement I've ever made, you know? It's yeah. like, observation number one, mom. You know, you're, you're sad. I'm happy. Very philosophical of you. So what'd she do? Did she just slap you in the face? Or? Well, she said something that I think is profound. To me, at least it was at the time because it did make me pause. And she said, Michael, life isn't about being happy. It's about doing what's right. And I'd never really considered that before, but but for me at that time, life was about being happy. And if you're happy, then you're on the right road. And so to find the right road is to find happiness, and to find happiness is to find the right road. And I think that's just what so many people are looking for, is just a deep, settled happiness that that more often than not... They have a smile on their face. More often than not, they can laugh. And most importantly, more often than not, they're just not sad. There's so much sadness. There's so much 
hurt. There's so much pain. There's so many things to worry your mind. There's so many things to to drag you down and uh, to, to keep you from being released and enjoying life. And a lot of us will just have that attitude. Isn't life about just enjoying it and, and taking in the fullness of it and living it up? We, we can call it all kinds of ways. And we look at other people and be, uh, become very envious whenever they are happy, mm-hmm. uh, whenever they always have a smile. And, and we're not seem. We're, I mean, I don't think we're saying that Christians shouldn't be happy. Uh, you, we're going to get to is that is that the reason you should be a Christian is really what we're talking about because I mean I think both we're, we've been heavily influenced by Chuck Swindoll and I think that anybody would say when you're in a room where Chuck Swindoll's in the room you hear him laughing louder than anybody else and that man is it has a lot of moments of happiness <laughs> you know when you're around him he laughs a lot um, and but that doesn't mean that that's all he is, and that's the reason he's a Christian, is because he wants to laugh and he wants to be happy. Because I think the danger is that if your goal is to be happy, your question then is going to be, what makes me happy? And so then you're going to be left to observe what makes mankind happy. And you're probably going to, the trend today in the church is to say, what makes you happy is to have a good marriage, to be out of debt, to be in a good job, to to be a good co-worker, and you can just go down the list of these are the things, the moral actions that should be characterized by a Christian. You shouldn't be depressed and all these things. So then the question is, well, how do I not be depressed? How do I get out of debt? How do I have a good marriage? And then you start going down this list of you do this, you do this, you have this plan, you have this plan. Then the idea would be, okay, now that I've checked off all those things, now I should be happy, and now I am a mature Christian because I've checked off that list. And so that's just taking you to a point now where your Christian walk is characterized by checking off things that you think are going to make you happy. And what we're going to say is that that is not the gospel. That is not the end, the chief end of man is not to get out of debt, to do all these things that will make me happy. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a little conflicted just listening to all this because I'm, I'm processing as I, as I hear what you all are saying. And I'm not disagreeing with any of it yet. But I'm thinking also of, of passages such as um, the psalmist exhortation, delight yourself in the Lord, mm-hmm. and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or my life verse, Psalm 1611, thou hast made known to me the pathway of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So here is an incentive to pursue God is that in him and in his presence we find pleasures that aren't passing, that aren't tied to the uh, temporary, transient, momentary thrills of life, but they last forever, that there is in God's presence uh, joy that overflows abundantly. Um, so, again... Um, 
Well, well, Sam, I think, though, every verse that you mentioned, the center of those verses was not joy. The center of those verses was God. Exactly. And and so I think that that's the key, and and that's the gospel. That's why you become a Christian, is not that I want to get out of debt, but because Christ is now the center of my life, I'm dead in myself, I'm alive in Him, I don't follow my flesh, I follow Him, because He is now the center of my universe, things are no longer the center of my universe. And because I'm rejecting things and I'm clinging to Christ, now I have joy. So in other words, the real issue here is what I was going to, what I kind of meant to get to is in what is our, if you want to say happiness or joy or pleasure, rooted and grounded? Yeah. What is its cause? What is it that gives it significance and substance? And obviously it seems that, and again, because I am a Christian hedonist, when I think of why should I become a Christian, or I would say because of the immeasurable joy that is to be found in God alone. Yeah. I don't think you become a Christian for joy. You don't become a Christian because you want pleasure. You want to become a Christian because of the joy that is found in God, because he is your exceedingly great delight. Um, so again, we have to talk about this in terms of what is it that elicits the joy and what is our joy grounded what is it that causes joy to 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 uh, rise up in the human heart? What is it that you know? There are um, there are days when I am emotionally distressed, when I am burdened by issues in my life or my family or the church or in society as a whole, and it would I would be hard pressed to say I'm happy today. But in the midst of that, there is I trust. Um, a, a deep abiding delight and joy in God that is unaffected by these other external factors. So I agree that wanting to be happy is an illegitimate reason for a person to convert to Christianity. But wanting to experience the joy and the delight in having, knowing, savoring who God is for us in Jesus, I think is altogether a legitimate reason to become a Christian. Yeah, so I think the idea would be if you talk to someone they say, and you say, why do you want to be a Christian? And they say, because I want to be happy. I would say, you are setting the bar too low. But then, in, so I would say, don't seek happiness, seek Christ. And if you have been consumed by your Savior and your focus is on your Savior, you will get joy thrown in. And joy will be a fruit that you will follow. But don't follow the gift. Follow the giver. The gift is joy. The giver is Christ. And I think the reason why why even when you don't feel happy, you have a deeper joy is not because of something in yourself, but because your Savior is living. And on days that you don't feel um, joy or you don't feel happiness, Christ is a Alive and well, and your relationship with Him in Christ is secure. So you have a deeper joy because your joy is found in His life and not in your life. But one of the things that I think, uh, and I'm still not, I'm still not buying into this distinction between happiness and joy. Not because so I you're don't saying buy that all it. of our conversations no, 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 no. I, 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 but I haven't seen it. Point. I've seen you guys, or seen you make the distinction between happiness and joy. But then I can't, in my mind at least, figure out what the distinction is. However. What we have said here, I think, I think everybody's in agreement upon is that 
whenever we define happy as Christians, there, there is a progressive reorientation of what it means to be happy. Uh, to what it means, and we, we, we can't distinguish, I think, happiness from joy or happiness from peace or happiness from contentment and the other fruits of the Spirit here. And so that whenever I'm talking to my mom, and I say, Mom, you're not happy. I am. What I am doing is defining happy according to what the world defines happy as. You know, having a smile on my face, laughing with my friends, being free from the burdens of whatever responsibilities and and things that are going on, disassociating myself with the things that, that will cause me to be sad or cause me to be down or to drag my life through some type of troubles. That's what I defined it as then. But now I think whenever you become a Christian, you do redefine that because, as as you were talking about beforehand, the ultimate, our reorientation is that the ultimate find is God himself. He's that great treasure, and, and he is everything to us. And in the Christian life, whenever we have that, no matter what circumstances we are in, that does not change. God does not change. His disposition towards us does not change. His future towards us does not change. Our, our hope does not change. Therefore, our, our, our happiness is redefined and stabilized. Yeah, and let me, I just want to, and maybe we can come back to this in another program, because I want to I continue to press home this point. I, I would not want our listeners to understand, at least I don't want them to understand me saying, maybe Tim would want them to understand <laughs> him saying, I would not want them to hear me saying that they are not to take into consideration the well-being, the pleasure, the delight, the joy, the happiness of their own soul when they are considering the Christian gospel. I don't believe it's possible for a human being shaped in the image of God to act in a way that does not take into consideration what brings greatest joy and delight to the human heart. I think we're fundamentally motivated by that in every decision we make. So what I would say to them is uh, don't believe the lie of the world, the flesh, and the devil that says that the satisfaction that you feel pulsating within your soul, when you get up in the morning and you feel this insatiable, chronic hunger for happiness and joy, every human being does. When you feel that, don't buy into the lie that it can only be found in getting doing whatever it takes to get people to treat you well, uh, getting enough money so you can purchase all the goodies and gadgets and new computers and iPhones that, that you really long to have, don't buy into the belief that somehow it's tied up with a physiological feeling of euphoria, so you'll turn immediately to alcohol or to drugs or to sex. Um, don't buy into that lie. Don't deny the reality of your hunger for happiness. I think it's part of what it is to be created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. We're hardwired for joy and happiness. But rather embrace the biblical proclamation that God created you this way because he wants to satisfy that hunger with himself. He wants to immerse you in who he is and flood your heart with the reality of the saving grace of Christ. Let you behold his beauty, his greatness, his glory, and that will bring to your soul, whether you want to call it happiness, delight, joy, pleasure, sense of well-being, 
that infinitely transcends anything the world can offer. So the answer in dealing with this question, I don't want people to go away thinking I shouldn't be considering what makes me happy or what makes me joyful. And I'm saying, oh, yes, you should. In fact, Mm -hmm. you can't help but do that. But look to God and what he is for us in Jesus as the way in which that is ultimately satisfied in a way that far transcends anything the world can do for you. Yeah, I totally agree, because I think in looking inward is when we see the areas where we are not trusting Christ. And so sometimes those times when I look inside and I say, I'm not experiencing joy, it's because I haven't taken, as Christ says, uh, that we are heavy laden, but he says, take my burden, take my yoke, my yoke is light, and and you'll find rest for your souls. And so that I want to look inside and say, my soul is not at rest today because I am not in Christ today in a sense of walking with him. We will graduate, I would say, I think, summarizing what all of us have been saying here. We will graduate from a shallow form of happiness that doesn't fulfill to a form of happiness that does fulfill, that God created, Mm -hmm. that that you're searching for. Paul says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Um, As sad, yet always happy. What a... What a way to put it there. And, you know, as I talked to my mother, uh, I just had a wrong view. But, you know, that was my goal at that point. Mom, I want to be happy. This is making me happy. What you're suggesting is not. And our orientation, our pursuit of that type of happiness will not fulfill anything. And I think everybody listening to this that is pursuing that because everybody does pursue happiness knows that. But in the end, why would I put this as my first one? I, I think Sam and Tim, both of you have grabbed a hold of this, is that sometimes when we do come to Christianity, we are looking for it to fulfill a set of, of ways to be happy that it is not inclined, God is not inclined to fulfill. You may still have hard, hard marriages and disobedient children and and bills unpaid and just a sad day, you know, a disposition that is sad in some ways, but yet you can find that contentment because it is the truth. Happiness uh, um, uh, takes a, uh, a back seat in that sense to truth which truth ultimately fulfills our greatest longings. All right, guys, thanks for uh, joining us here this uh, evening, afternoon, morning, on your bike, on your treadmill, in your car, wherever you're listening to this at. We're happy you tuned in. We, we were happy. It made us joyful. It did. A deep sense of joy that fulfilled us in a way that... Uh, can't understand them if you're not a Christian, eh? Yeah, way to bring it around, bro. All right, uh, we'll talk to you next week as we continue the series on reasons not to be a Christian. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.